Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. My name is Carrie Logman, and I am the leader of education and research at the Eastside Institute. I'm also an associate professor and chair of the Department of Learning and Teaching at Rutgers University, and I am your host today for this episode of All Power to Developing. Um, I'm very excited to be talking to you about um, an organization that I've known for probably close to 10 years now and is very near and dear to my heart, um, Action Play. So let me very quickly introduce you to my guests today or my conversational partners. Um, Aaron Feinstein is the executive director and founder of Action Play. He's gonna tell you a little bit more about the organization in a moment. He's also a theater and film director and a producer who is interested in making work with communities that lack visibility in the media. Jackson Tucker Meyer is an autistic playwright, performer and Action Play's program manager. And Edison Weinstein is a history scholar and a recent graduate of Macaulay Honors College. He joined Action Play as a participant in 2012 and is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. So thank you all for joining us. And I'm really looking forward to uh, chatting together. Um, so Aaron, maybe just start us off. We have a, a very diverse audience from all over the world. Um, some people have experience with autism and neurodiversity. Many people do not. Some people have a lot of experience with theater. Other people are community organizers. So just briefly, tell us a little bit about what Action Play is. Sure. So Action Play's mission is to create equal arts opportunities uh, for folks who are neurodivergent, folks that are disabled, folks on the autistic spectrum, and we do it in an inclusive space, meaning it's a welcoming space where lots of ideas from lots of different identities, lots of different people kind of come together to create what we create. And I would just talk about our three signature programs. We have the Ames Workshop, which is a devised musical theater workshop, meaning we create an original piece of musical theater from scratch. We come into a room, we improvise, and we basically build a full one act musical uh, within about 25 Sundays. Um, and it's a pretty awesome program. And, and the work is very elevated. It's very sophisticated stuff. And, and we, we'd love to do it. Um, we do an audition workshop where we work with the casting industry who's really interested currently in casting inclusively, meaning right now they wanna cast roles a lot of times representationally like an autistic role played by an autistic person. Um, mm. But that dialogue is an evolving dialogue. And we do workshops with folks on the spectrum who wanna get in the room with casting directors. And we do workshops with casting directors who wanna understand how to do this kind of casting um, in a meaningful way. And then we have a lovely program called our AIMS Mentor Program, which is a mentorship program started by an autistic professional who wanted to mentor early mm. career young people who are on the autism spectrum to basically uh, live out their dreams and, and get the jobs that they want to get. Thank you. That's really helpful. And 
we'll sort of keep that in mind as we go forward and get some more specificity and examples and experiences from all three of you. Um, Eddie, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in action play and anything you might want to add to Aaron's description from your, from your relationship to what action play is. Well, I joined early on in 2012 and I've been with action play ever since and action play, Aaron, well, Aaron from action plays description is pretty accurate. <laughs> cool. How old were you when you joined? I was, I think I was 12, 13. Wow. Yes. And, you, um, were, you were about 13 years old. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Maybe you were 12, but yeah, yeah. Were, it was like, it was a teenage group at the 92nd Street Y Sunday mornings. It was pretty awesome. Was, was, was. was Eddie in your first group, Aaron, or, or had, was it a couple of years into the project? Eddie was in, I believe, our first group, but didn't we? We had this oh discussion gosh. last time. Maybe it was the second. Oh, yeah, we group. couldn't remember. <laughs> no, I, I think it was the first. No, it was the second. She came uh, the second year, uh, Eddie, uh, he, he came into our program. Cool. Great. And Eddie, do you know how, I assume, given your age, that your parents or somebody else found out about it? Do you have any idea of how that, how that happened? Turns out my aunt heard of the Miracle Project. And mm. so I started with the Miracle Project before Action Play was fully formed. And my aunt said to my mom, hey, this is a great idea to get little, little Edison out <laughs> of his bubble and get him to interact with the world at large because I was and still am a little socially awkward. Thank you. And, and the Miracle Project is also a theater program for people on the autism spectrum. I believe that Aaron himself worked in and then this kind of grew out of that work. Thank you. And what about you, Jackson? Um, you're on the staff of Action Play, so a different path in. Um, what do you do there and anything you want to add to, to the description we've got so far? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I joined Action Play uh, in 2019. I had actually originally tried to connect with them in 2018 when I was like in between like two years of a two year grad school program, the Sarah Lawrence MFA theater program. And because uh, I, I didn't realize at the time that we didn't really do anything over summer at the time. It was like strictly over the school year. Uh, but then I joined up originally as a volunteer helping out with a musical that uh, ended up going online and virtual over the course of the pandemic called A Questionable Case. Uh, and from there, I I think I might already be mixing up the chronology of stuff that happened earlier in the year, but I think we are in the midst of planning this playwriting program, the Action Play Neurodivergent Playwriting Lab that I ended up teaching uh, this mm. past summer. Uh, and somewhere in the midst of that, I had, I got the offer to uh, take over from our uh, previous program director, Sarah Morgulis. Uh, and it was very, very humbling and very honoring. And now I'm mainly in charge of uh, coordinating our various programs, making sure that everybody has the information that they need uh, to do what they need to do. Um, we've, uh, I've definitely been collaborating with 
Aaron on uh, just figuring out our overall direction, which has been increasingly twisting and turning uh, over the course of the past year, as one can imagine, uh, and mm-hmm. figuring out what's best for uh, our participants to make sure that they can create in a comfortable and safe environment. Uh, and I've also been occasionally pitching in artistically as well when need be. So a lot of different hats, but a lot of different hats. Yes. Yeah. Great. Thank you. I think that it gives us a little bit of a picture of kind of who you all are and what action play is. I want to, as I said at the beginning, we have a we have people from all over the world listening, and also the 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 terms used to describe people with autism, people diagnosed with autism, people on the spectrum, keep changing and moving. And you've all used at different points, both in your description you gave me and in what you've said, um, the word neurodiverse and neurodiversity, um, which might be new to many people in our audience. I wondered if any or all of you could share what that term means, at least to you, where it came from, and in some ways, what it means to you personally. Do you identify that way? Do you use that term for yourself and and what that's come to mean for you? So anybody could jump in. It's funny. I mean, uh, oh, sorry, Aaron. Uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll just uh, go for it gung-ho and then you can... <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's funny. It's neurodiversity, I think, in recent years has become one of those terms that I've just taken so for granted that I don't really know the dictionary definition of it anymore. (laughs) But um, as far as what it means to me, I think, um, especially in terms of creating a community, like with Action Mm -hmm. Play, uh, neurodiversity is creating a space for folks who, uh, whether they're neurotypical, whatever that means, you know, or neurodivergent, meaning autistic, uh, the term mad has recently been reclaimed a little bit to, um, Mm. speak to uh, people with mental illness, uh, and creating a space in which all manners of neurotype are accepted and able to be accepted without necessarily having to conform in a big way, without necessarily having to be socialized in a way that reads neurotypical uh, to a neurotypical member of the Mm. community. Uh, So yeah, just a diverse array of neurotypes. Hopefully that's close to the actual definition. (laughs) Whatever it is, I find it both helpful and really compelling. And um, I'm hoping we'll keep returning to this idea of people being accepted without having to conform. Cause I think that's a really important theme that we've, that the three of us have talked about a little bit before, but that, you know, seemed important to me in what you were saying. What about, what about you, Eddie? To me, neurodiversity refers to anyone who has a brain that's wired a little differently. This could be anything from my autism and ADHD to somebody else's dyslexia to mm-hmm. somebody else's mental illness or or um, or similar conditions and the like, and I think it's a it's a way of phrasing of understanding because phrasing comes back to understanding because words betray thoughts. It's mm-hmm. a it's a newer way and it is a more inclusive way of thinking about the brain and how different each brain is from another and how the the majority of brains have gotten together to form 
a network that works for them. But Mm -hmm. for some brains like mine, we can't easily tap into this network. And so wiring the brain differently to think about these differences helps these neurodivergent brains to tap into this wider network and feel Mm. more connection. Mm. So, I mean, many people, Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. I I think it, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with both, you know, um, Jackson and Edison's um, definition. I identify as neurodivergent as well. Um, I have uh, an ADHD and a auditory processing diagnosis, but really I see uh, neurodiversity as stemming from the disability movement, which really focused a lot on, you know, the way people like able-bodiedness versus uh, people who have disabilities. But a lot of times in terms of the way we perceive the world or communicate in the world, um, disability you know, it's it, it where we're talking about a lot of times neurodivergent people are disabled. We're, a lot of times it's nice to be able to frame it in the sense mm-hmm. of how we we take in the world and how we communicate to the world and the differences there. Um, and if anything, the world we, we want the world to be more acknowledging and more accepting and really, um, you know, give us opportunities because we do see the world and think about the world in a different way, but are also incredibly um, able and awesome to, and ready to participate in it, Mm. you know? Yeah. And are participating in it. (laughs) Right. Right. It's not a, it's not a precursor. It's, it's describing in some ways what's, what's going on and then trying to develop it further is what I hear you all in part saying. Um, so, so taking all that, which I think, again, I found enormously helpful, um, and thinking about, so this is a theater program. It's a performance program. Um, I know some people are doing it because they want to become professional actors, but I'm sure many people participate in it for various reasons. And, and so I was, I was, and as you all know, um, at, at, as we talked about before, at the Institute, we see performance and development and growth as being very closely connected. Um, and so I thought I'd love for all of you to speak a little to how performance in theater has helped you to grow, um, how it's helped you to develop, and how's it impacted on your lives? Um, what's it been like becoming a performer? Well, when I first started out, I was very socially awkward. I still get a little nervous. I used to have really bad performance anxiety, mm-hmm. and I used to be very in my shell, and I used to only interact with the world around my special interest, which is history, but being in theater and being kind of forced out of my bubble a little allowed me to engage with the world on terms outside my special interest. It allowed me to communicate with people and allowed me to empathize better as I learned how to take on a role. Uh, I learned to take on a character that wasn't necessarily me. Mm. And how did that, for you, Reddy, we intersect with getting to also be yourself, right? Because I think we've action play was also a place you've said where you felt very accepted. So it's it's such an interesting, and I feel like you you could share some of what that both of those things, right? Getting to um, 
getting to perform new roles, try out new ways of relating and being and being accepted for who you are. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you? The core if that was your of, experience. Uh, the core of action play was improv. So we created characters around improv. And when you're in the improv space, you don't have the societal pressures of job, boss, school, grades put upon you. And so when I just got to act and have fun and and essentially just like take certain parts of myself and kind of make fun of myself a little or get to exaggerate parts of myself that I couldn't necessarily do in the classroom, I felt freer to be me. Mm. Mm. Thank you. I feel, I feel similarly. I mean, I, I feel like for me, my path into, into theater was like being an outcasted middle school student and making my way to the drama club um, where there were just, it was always a very diverse group um, and diverse in mind and diverse in, you know, sexual orientation and just like the most diverse place on our campus was the little theater department. And it was also one of the more accepting places to be even though you were kind of outcasted a lot of times as being like a theater nerd or something by the, the general population. But I think we kind of all took it a little bit as a badge of honor. We knew we went to this like cool place that we did our thing and we kind of, we had our, our group of friends, but, and it was our thing and it was, you know, really special in that way. And I'll just echo Eddie in saying that like the first opportunity I had to create a villain uh, when I was playing mm. Scrooge when I was like a kid. And, and I, I, I remember just getting to go full blown evil into it. And I really loved that power, like the ability to do that on stage and put on this mask and play this kind of role. And at the same time, you know, still retain, a, it, it felt good to get into that side of myself. Um, mm. So with action play, I've always wanted to explore as far out as the uh, possibilities as people want to go and also really respect the interests of everybody. So like Eddie talking about history and, and your love of historical characters, it's like, um, you know, to give that platform and make sure that that was a place, a safe place where you could perform those things. Yeah. yeah and for me personally, um, I, I feel very privileged in that I was both diagnosed autistic at an early age and also involved in theater from a very early age. I was actually, it's funny you mentioned like playing the villain, Aaron. I was actually like playing characters even before I was involved in theater. I would in preschool uh, be Captain Hook and only answer to that name. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would just so like you, you be don't in character mean, nonstop. You don't mean when you were on the theater, you don't- I was No, saying, just you like just at preschool. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Just like nonstop 24 seven hook life all day, every day. But uh, then when I actually started doing theater, uh, it was primarily musical theater. And I did that like all through elementary school, through high school, through college. And there's something very, especially in high school, there was something very, uh, well, it, it was, again, a very accepting environment, definitely one of the most accepting environments I encountered in school, people from all walks of life, like gathering together to make something collectively that they're all super passionate about. Uh, and also just the the format of musical theater in general with people clearly stating the, how they feel in the form of a yeah. song. Like that's that's also very, very useful for, you know, I guess, building up your emotional intelligence. That sounds so like, 
pragmatic and utilitarian when you put it that way it was just a place where i felt comfortable like first and foremost like that was and that that's really kind of an an ineffable thing at the end of the day which i know doesn't really sell on grant applications but it's important to like create a an accepting space where you're doing something fun and it was kind of the first space i was in where i encountered people working very seriously and very hard about something that they were really passionate about. I went to this high school in Ann Arbor, Pioneer High School, where they would bring in musical theater students from the University of Michigan mm. to like do everything and like run the show. And uh, the first show that I did first semester freshman year was Miss Saigon, the school edition, which like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, why did we? <laughs> but like, yeah, we took it seriously. We took it uh -huh. very seriously. And um, it obviously ultimately ended up uh, influencing my larger path in life because I got my master's in theater uh, and a program that uh, was also very instructive in its own way because it emphasized a sort of like downtown performance art angle. The Sarah Lawrence Theater Program mm -hmm. is uh, kind of notorious for that. And so bringing all of those together, it really helped to get me in the habit of having a very open mind and being very curious and also being very comfortable in my own skin, uh, especially now that I'm like living in this sort of, you know, bohemian milieu where eccentricity is kind of almost, you know, a prerequisite for being part of it. You know, uh, it's interesting. You're, you're socialized when you're autistic at an early age to uh, sort of tamp down your uh, special mm. interests and the things that make you different a little bit. Whereas when you get older, being open about all those unique things about yourself is how you find your people and how you connect and how you communicate uh, yeah. to a certain extent. Um, and I'm still like, like being an action play right now uh, when working with these folks is cool because it's giving me a connection to uh, a very large autistic community that I haven't previously had. And I'm still like, man, I gotta like keep learning new stuff. Like we're doing all this improv and like, I've never done it before. Mm. And I'm like, I should probably take some classes. I should probably learn how. So it's, it's, it's just been an ongoing journey throughout my life. It's great. Thank you. Thank you all. I, I think we're gonna take a short break. And then when we come back, talk a little more about the specific experience of being in action play and how that's impacted all of you and what are you say. So let's take a couple of minutes and then we'll come back. Sounds good, thank you. Got it. Hi, I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. All right, welcome back, everybody. And um, welcome back, Eddie and Jackson and Aaron. Um, so we've we've talked about quite a bit about sort of your experience as performers, and but let's let's talk a little bit about action play. So as I said at the beginning, I, I met 
action play. I went to one of your performances. Um, I think it might have been the first one Eddie was in, but maybe, no, no, we decided it was the second one. Um, and one of the things that struck me at the time and part of why I reached out to Aaron and, and have gotten to know action play better was the incredible diversity of who was on the stage um, in the sense that there were young people in the performance who were nonverbal or at least seemed nonverbal. There were people who clearly needed to move a lot and other people who barely, you know, clearly were very shy. And there were other people who um, needed help physically to move around the stage. And so, um, and yet in the performance, everybody had a part. And, and that was a lot of what spoke to me as an expert in play and performance and its role in development. As a Vygotskyan, the Soviet psychologist who has informed a lot of our work, I really believe in something we call zones of proximal development, which is creating ensembles, communities, where everybody can give what they have to give to support the group's growth. And that in supporting the group's growth, everybody can do new things, try new things, be that's one way to understand it. So I want to ask if you see that in what your experience has been in action play, that experience of people at all different levels of development, types of development, working together to create something um, and how, how you've created that. So I, in some ways that's a question for, as a question for all of you, um, how have you created that environment? Um, anyone? I think the, the way it started really was just be, the, the act of devising theater because really we wanted to honor the unique interests and passions of folks who were coming into our group. So a lot of times, you know, with folks who are on the autism spectrum specifically, they have such, such specific interests that they, that they love. And, and I think Jackson hinted to it earlier that so many times, um, autistic people I know, they feel like they're squashed. And I witnessed it working in schools. I mean, I saw that the interests were just like, that was like looked at as weird or different or just distracting or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, uh, specifically with like ABA therapy and stuff like that, it was like controlled. So they did not do that. And so, you know, the theater became the space or at least the way we, we did it, we created theater within our AIMS program where we really attempted to honor the interests of the folks that were in the program. And yet it became this kind of like spotlighting thing because it's not like you can just come in and the whole play is gonna be about your thing, whatever it may be. Um, so for example, um, you know, there was a young man who was into ceiling fans, who, you know, we can't make the, the, the play about ceil only about ceiling fans. We have to add this other interest in- Why it. not? Well, I mean, ceiling fans are <laughs> I mean, we, we'll go back to that concept. <laughs> concept. It would be you, really yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's 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 this universal like collective, you know, of of a lot of different passions, and to be able to work together and collaborate. So it's not really one person kind of dominating the whole show, and really, you know, giving everybody an opportunity. And then it's our job as staff and our wonderful base of volunteers to weave this all together into something that actually is co cohesive. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. Yeah, and it's very much an ongoing process as well, because obviously every autistic person is very different and there's really not going to be a one size fits all uh, mode of working uh, from one individual to the next. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that 
we're working with an ensemble that has very different ways of just moving in a room, inhabiting a space, as well as as blah blah blue, as well as very different ways of communicating. Uh, and that's uh, it, it. Really, and it's again, it's not a situation where uh, we're trying to uh, impose one mode of being in a rehearsal room. Uh, it, it we really try to craft a space where all of these uh, modes can more or less coexist, uh, whether it's a physical space or a digital space. And oftentimes, you know, a person who's very uncomfortable in one space, it turns out is quite comfortable in another. And so we're trying to figure out in the future ways to bridge that gap so that mm -hmm. we can still take some of the lessons and some of the positive benefits that uh, we've received from the Zoom world and uh, bring it back into a tangible rehearsal space as well. For instance, we've got people in our ensemble who uh, had a very strong sense of personal boundaries and had it, it was very, very difficult for them to mm. be in a space, a very tiny rehearsal studio with, with a lot of people. It was very challenging for them. Uh, and they ended up really kind of blossoming mm. over Zoom and becoming really confident performers. And it's in, uh, I've started to see that development sort of carry over into, like we just did the holiday concert at the Brooklyn Conservatory. And I, I just saw people who years before, when I had just started at Action Play, I could never have imagined them being in like, a tiny backstage area, you know, waiting to go on stage to like sing a song solo on a mic in front of like a big crowd. Like it, it just would have been very hard to picture. And it wasn't, it wasn't even really a case of us being like, oh, well, if you want to be a performer, you got to do this and that and act this way. It was just like, I like to think that we gave them the latitude to sort of become closer to the artists that they wanted to be like on their own terms. Thank you. Yeah. What about you, Eddie, as somebody who came in to this, you know, 12 or 13, I assume with your own idiosyncrasies of how you wanted to be, what was it like to work with people very different from you and, and with different needs? At some points it was very, interesting and I made a lot of longtime friends that I still keep in contact with at the same time it was a little overwhelming because I need quiet I need um, a controlled environment to function I know a lot of noise and a lot of happenings all around me can fry my brain very quickly and there are times that when we were in person I had to leave the room because it just got too hectic and my brain just fritzed out. And they were very supportive of that need to just take a break when my brain was getting fritzed out. And I understand that because everybody is so dis different, different, everybody has different needs. And now... I'm, I'm just trying to get my train of thought. Now we're socially distanced. Other people have to adjust. So while I function very well in this kind of homemade desk studio, other people need to be with other people. And so I think Jax is right how there's no one solution to this. 
because everybody's so different. It, it's a it's a system of compromises, mm. so that um, people can take what they need from the space and give what they can. It makes me think of just you know I I like to you know when I'm talking to staff and volunteers and just how to think about it I like to say like we're we're using an adaptive mindset we're trying to adapt to whatever the circumstances may be and to kind of come in with that framework you know to think about how we can adapt frequently and it has to be like I want to say very limber adaptation you know it's not like okay if we do this then it's going to work for everybody because it doesn't work that way. We have such specific, um, you know, sensory differences in this group a lot of times. Um, and that's really the autistic spectrum. You know, you have folks, I, I mean, I mean, you specific, I mean, like, here's like a, an example. You can have somebody who is really, really, really like, cannot be around a lot of noise and a lot of things like that. Very similar to how I feel, like too much noise and things like that really makes me, uh, I have a difficult time in it, to folks that just crave that, who want that, who want to be right in the mix of it, like right in the middle, you know? So it's just like you can have really in the same group kind of polar opposite mm -hmm. kind of situations from a, just a sensory uh, processing perspective. So what I think, one, one question that came to me while I was listening to you is, you know, we're living in a moment in history where lots of people are trying to figure out how do you bring diverse groupings of people together, whether that's diverse in terms of race, sexual orientation, political orientation, um, age. Are there things you feel like you've discovered or experienced in action play that you think could be useful to other people? Definitely the... When I mentioned compromise. So being able to take what you need, but also give what you can. And that means like listening to people, listening to people with different experiences. I remember when I was doing my history degree, I took a lot of political science and we talked about compromise when we talked about how different demographics got along and taught how it could be done better. And I just think, the best way to do this is listen to people, as I said, let them take what they need and allow them to give what they can. And you don't don't bend over backwards for them. There was an Arthur episode about uh, about Buster having asthma. And when and when um, Arthur found out that Buster had asthma, he was bending over backwards. Oh, I can't let a single piece mm. of dust touch my friend. I can't let my friend have another asthma attack ever. He must be kept in a bubble. He must be protected. That is just as alienating as saying what as what doing what Francine yeah. did when she just said, Ew, don't touch me. You got asthma germs. Uh -huh. Two polar opposite responses, both as alienating to Buster as as the other. Yeah. So yeah. I just say I, yeah. accommodate people's needs, be adaptive, but also just don't stand in the way and don't treat anyone any differently from anybody else. Mm. <laughs> but it does make that. the state of the world and, you know, and just how we're really not doing a good job at that, you know? That's the first thing that comes to mind when you say it, because you put it so eloquently, Eddie. Like, I'm like, yeah, that the reality is, is that we're continuously not having these conversations where we're, we are siloing each other. We literally have algorithms that silo us even more, you know, and it's like, this, there is a, a very big disconnection between people who are 
who are not who are not willing to communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. I always get in arguments with people where I'm like, but isn't that unwilling? I understand maybe there's a line, but what what is, you know, can't we like, the lines have to be a little bit more fluid or we're just not talking to people. We're not having yeah. very important conversations, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one thing I strikes me about action play and tell me if this speaks to you in terms of what we're talking about is you had a job to do together. You were putting oh, yeah. on a play. You were devising, creating a play. So when you say, Eddie, let people give what they can, right? And and give them what they need. You said it better than me, but <laughs> um, to me, that feels like it's connected to that you had something you were trying to create together, that people were choosing to do together. Does that, what, are the, what do you think about that? Any of you? Well, I'd have to say that you put it very, very well. It's easier to get people to work together when there's an end goal. Mm. Oh, yes, definitely. I I was just going to say, like, you took the words right out of my mouth, Eddie. Also, uh, my mom used to work on Arthur, so that that anecdote warmed my heart. I'm very glad that it has reached the uh, the younger generation. Uh, But yeah, yeah, there's really something to be said for bringing a lot of people together and giving them one specific goal, no matter what that goal is, because it really, really does tie people together uh, in really ways that I find it hard to even quantify. I mean, it's it's funny, like, I don't really get stage fright when I, I act, because I've been doing it for so long, or, or even when I have like a play of mine performed, but I still sometimes get stage fright when I'm preparing to do one of these like action play zooms, even though I know it's completely irrational because every time like I'm like, oh, am I like, you know, it's that bending over backwards thing. Am I like giving them enough support that they need to like do what they've got to do and like put this show together? Are we going to be able to like make something happen today? And it always happens beautifully. Like it's just the Mm -hmm. group is so dedicated and like so into what they're doing and also like very self-supporting and supporting of each other without us even really ever having to like lay that out or like say you should do that. Like it, it's just very, very, yeah. It, they really just come together and make something special uh, every Sunday morning. It's really quite extraordinary to witness. And I'm like, what was I so worried about? <laughs> like, it's just an awesome <laughs> and, group with an awesome and goal. It, and is that, is, is that, I think of how to phrase this. Has that helped you in situations that are not as carefully created as this, right? So action play, I think of action play as an as a ongoing creation of an environment where people can do what you're talking about, give what they have to give and be supported in whatever ways they need. Not everywhere in the world is careful fully constructed in that way. Um, and yet you all have learned how to do that. Has that helped you in other environments? Has it helped you in school, Eddie? Has it helped you in your friendships, in your in your work, in other work that you do? All of you, I'm saying, but has that helped you being, having you had that experience? Um, do you take it with you? Definitely, I, I take it with me. Uh, I want to continue my studies. I have a BA right now. I want to get a PhD eventually. And I want to be a professor. And I want to build that supportive environment in 
when I have a classroom and students of my own, I want to build that environment because I read horror stories about PhD candidates getting mm. um, thrown around by their mentors, being cruelly dismissed, being unsupported. And it makes me think about like, they're like neurodivergent people are very brilliant. Thomas Edison, he had ADHD. He was very brilliant. Nikola Tesla. Um, I, I'm very hesitant to give retrospective diagnoses, but a lot of people think that Nikola Tesla had either autism spectrum disorder or OCD. Very brilliant people, but they're often left unsupported by society. Thomas Edison was kicked out of school mm-hmm. at a very early age because his teacher just didn't want to support him. Nikola Tesla was dropped by b- both of his financiers, J.P. Morgan and George Westinghouse, because he couldn't understand finances. And he was a brilliant marketer, but he just, while he could market his stuff brilliantly and, and, brilliantly, and he could put on these wonderful displays of electricity, but at the same time, he just couldn't connect to people. And so these wonderful academic minds being left unsupported. Michael Faraday is another example. So, so Eddie, are you saying you want to learn how to support people? Yes, that, I want uh-huh. I want to bring people forward instead of standing in the way. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely credit theater uh, with having taught me a certain degree of mental flexibility. I, mm. I was a super like, like routine habity person when I was younger. And I still am. I'm a very much a creature of routine and a creature of habit in a lot of ways still. Uh, I find it necessary for my own uh, artistic process and life process. But at the same time, uh, I think I'm like way better at going with the flow than I was 20 or even Mm. 10 years ago. I mean, just today, um, before hopping on this podcast with you, I, this morning, just, I, well, yesterday, my dear friend and housemate asked me, hey, do you want to, like, come down to this, like, theater studio where I'm doing the show and just help me, like, like, unfurl these little, like, marigold, like, these these fake marigold things for, like, set design, just, like, do this with me, and uh, I feel like a long time ago, I would be like, "Ah, I don't know how to do that, or, like, how I'm gonna fit Mm -hmm. that in my day, but then I was like, sure, and I just swung down, and then I came back up here and, like, taught a Zoom acting class (laughs) that I just got asked to do and pitch in as, like, a substitute for somebody, like, a couple of weeks ago, (laughs) and uh, then I just hopped straight on to here basically so it's just it, it was a whole day essentially of just going with the flow mm. and bouncing from one state of mind and one task to another uh, in a very fluid manner and I definitely mm. credit theater with you know that sort of all hands on deck do what you need yeah. to do to make the show go on approach uh, I definitely think that's uh, influenced you. my approach to life in a great many ways yeah thank you Aaron and we're gonna we're gonna need to wrap up um, anything you want to share both about, you know, sort of what Action Play is doing now, but also any ways people could could learn more? Um, tell, tell us what you'd like to leave people with. Well, I mean, Action Play is growing, you know, that's that's really our, we have a <laughs> growth mentality. So, you know, I think the, the reality is, is that we're really um, trying to take what we've done over the years, which is really create this unique community um, and, and give a lot of opportunities to flourish. And I'll just say, like, I think one of the, the biggest kind of accomplishments, and Eddie hinted at it before, 
when I think about like, okay, well, what am I proud of with this whole thing is really watching all the friendships that have been made in action play and that they're really meaningful, lasting friendships that happened in that room. And just to see like a support network that carries is a really beautiful thing. So when I think about action plays growth, it's really how to offer that to more mm. people um, around the country, around the world, um, and really make sure, you know, that we're doing it in a way that that respects that this is this is a this is small community, be, you know, behavior. You know, we're building these things in ways that are replicable in a sense, but also need to have their own. They they need to have their own mojo. They need to work within their own community yeah. to make it. And I think what we can provide is really just. Um, I want to say a, a general and 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 a thoughtful way of, of 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 approaching this kind of work, which is really to always be inclusive of the ideas in the room, and really how to use those ideas to keep building forward. And to and you know, it's, it's interesting that you brought up goals to have big goals. Like putting on a musical is a big goal. It is wild the amount of work that goes into these pieces. Um, but I would say just in terms of the broader world that we're dealing with now, also just the opportunities. I'm really excited about media opportunities and casting opportunities um, for folks um, that are autistic and neurodivergent and disabled, just to see that that is a big change now that the industry and Broadway are also starting to think about is huge because there's a lot of talent who wants to work and wants to be cast and wants to be cast and included in all aspects of, mm. so it's not just acting, it's like tech and, all the aspects of like this incredible world we exist in, which is, you know, the theatrical world and the media world. Um, so I'm really excited about that too and pushing that forward. Cool. Well, thank you all very much. Um, I, I continue to be um, inspired by the, the growth of action play and also the methodology that I, I do think is of use to people in a range of fields and activities. Um, and again, to, to, to badly quote Eddie, an, a methodology where people can come and give what they have to give and be supported in the ways that they need to be supported and that where they can be accepted without having to conform. And I would add to develop without having to conform. Um, so thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Carrie. Thank, thank you. you. All Power to the Developing has been brought to you in part by the Baylor Wolf Fund.